Good morning and welcome to Living Stones Church this morning. We're so glad that you joined us. And I'd like to just take a minute to just thank all of those that contributed to help uh, with the gifts that we're going to send to Africa this week. Thank you for your generosity. You've been so kind. And also, I just want to wish all the mothers a special blessed day today and in the year to come. Uh, for us as husbands, we want to thank our wives for doing such an admirable job of raising our children. It's so exciting uh, to be blessed to have a family. But I want to just encourage those that don't have a family that when you and I mentor and pour our lives into other people, we develop kind of a father-mother reality with them. And so I want to just encourage you as you're mentoring and caring for those around you. I want to remind us that next Sunday we're going to have a communion service. You may want to be prepared, have a little uh, glass of uh, grape juice or some fruit juice and a little piece of bread, and we're going to receive communion next Sunday. So I want you to be ready for that. I want to read a little bit from the book of James. I was reading this text this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, James is writing, and he says this in the fifth chapters, "'Any among you in trouble, let them pray.'" Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. Now, obviously, this is what we do every Sunday, but we don't have that opportunity. But can I just encourage you to uh, hit the connect button and ask for prayer, and we will be praying this week, and we will be believing for God to do a miracle in your life. And I'm going to pray in just a moment that God would release his healing grace into your lives. And then he goes on to say, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then he gives an example of Elijah from the Old Testament who was a human being or a person of like nature, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. That has a lot to do with covenant issues in the Old Testament. And he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. That's because the people repented. Now, my brothers and sisters, if any of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So I want to pray this morning that God's grace and blessing and his healing virtue would flow into your lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you are a God who hears the cry of the poor, the needy, and the oppressed. And I pray, Father, this morning that you will minister your healing virtue into sick bodies this morning, even as people right now are crying out to you and saying, God, would you hear my prayer? Lord, would you heal the afflictions in my body? Lord, I just agree with them right now that you would minister grace in their bodies, Father. I pray as well for those that are struggling, maybe with temptation or challenge or pressures or difficulty in their lives. Lord, I ask today that you would encourage, inspire, and challenge them, Lord, to receive the power of your spirit to enable them to stand in the hour of testing. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles uh, today to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. 
As I was considering what to share on Mother's Day, I thought of two women that we probably don't know much about, but we know a little bit about because the Apostle Paul mentions them, and that's Timothy's grandmother and his mother. I want to share a story about John Grisham Macon, who was born in July 28, 1881. He was born in Baltimore, Maryland. He was the second of three sons to his parents, Arthur and Mary. She became known as Minnie. And his parents were deeply committed Christians. Many whom uh, John loved always had a special bond with her and an especially significant influence on his upbringing. It was on her knee that he had first learned the Bible and learned of the Christian life as she was reading Pilgrim's Progress. By 15, he had made a credible profession of faith and was received into full membership of their church. And at that time, neither he nor his parents could have guessed how his life would begin to unfold. He would become a New Testament scholar. He had accepted a teaching position at a a nation's preeminent seminary and eventually helped found and lead a new seminary and a new denomination. In 1905, Grisham decided to study in Germany for a year, and it was there that he endured an unexpected challenge to the sound training that he had received as a child. The challenge came in the form of German theological liberalism, and especially the doubts regarding Jesus' miraculous resurrection. You see, he had been trained in the classroom to counter the claims of liberalism, but he had not been prepared to encounter that theology in the form of professors who were both warm and charitable and who appeared to be such fine examples of Christian piety. Now, Minnie, his mother, was wrestling with growing anxiety over her son's doubts because he had written to her. But because she was rooted in Scripture and she knew better than to panic and confront her son in fear or anger, instead she relied upon the grace of God and she chose to provide him with comfort and steadfast love. She writes to him, I have faith in you too and believe that the strength will come to you for your work, whatever it may be, and that the way will be opened. Pulled back by his mother's love, along with the counsel of other godly mentors, Grisham's crisis soon was quelled, and he returned to the sound doctrine in which he was raised. One of his biographers would later write, no one ever seriously rivaled his mother in her capacity to satisfy his need of deep spiritual sympathy or in her hold upon his affections and admiration. With God's help, the combination of training and tenderness won her son back to his roots. Minnie had been her son's first teacher and with her husband, the one who had led him to Christ. And then he said later, without what I got from you and mother, he would tell his father, I should long since have given up all thoughts of religion or of a moral life. The only thing that enables me to get any benefit out of my opportunities here is the continual presence with me in spirit of you and mother and the Christian teaching with which you have given me. At his time of deepest need, she had comforted him with love and counsel with the word of God. She had remained loyal to him in that crisis through every other controversy he also endured. And in his greatest and most enduring work, Christianity and Liberalism, a book that he published, it is fitting that its opening pages bears the simple dedication to my mother. Paul now, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, is writing 
to Timothy to encourage him regarding the intense opposition and challenge that was before this young minister of the gospel, whom Paul deeply loved as a son in the faith. We need to be reminded Timothy was what he was dealing with, tremendous pressures and problems faced with false teachers in the church at Ephesus. And those pressures were causing him to back down because of the intensity. Paul, in writing this letter, desires to encourage Timothy to suffer if need be, but not to back down from the pressures that he was encountering. And so in 2 Timothy 1, it begins with three important elements regarding the nature of our faith and how we are to stand in difficult times. And so I want to take a look at these three elements. And the first one is a thanksgiving for sincere faith. What does it mean to have sincere faith? It means to be authentic, genuine, without hypocrisy. Timothy, Paul pointed out, possessed a genuine faith that was in contrast to the false teachers who professed a Christian faith, but who were denying its very, the very power of the gospel because of the way they were living. Later in the book, Paul tells Timothy in the first few verses of chapter three a description of people who do not have a genuine or sincere faith. Now, I've read this text many times and I've thought to myself, if you read it out of context, you almost get the impression that Paul is writing to non-Christians because it begins this way, but there will be terrible times in the last days. But then it goes on to say in verse two, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, uh, with treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he says in verse five here, which I think is interesting, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Now, I want you to notice, it says there, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So these people were actually people who would say they're Christians. These were the false teachers. These were the people that were basically saying, it doesn't matter how you live, because, you know, God's grace will cover all of these things. What we need to notice that Paul is describing professors of faith, but not the ones who truly possess it because it's revealed by their inner heart condition and their outward behavior. So his advice to Timothy, and it applies to us, is to avoid these kinds of people because they talk a good talk, but their lives are an absolute mess, and they are in fact denying Christ's authority in their lives. So the Apostle Paul, in trying to encourage Timothy through this very difficult time in his life and ministry, he begins by reminding him that he's praying with thanksgiving for him and then reminds Timothy of, of his own amazing spiritual heritage. It is a heritage that Paul also enjoyed, enjoyed and was now, as a believer in Christ, he could look back on the ancestors and the roots of the Christian faith out of Judaism and say, I'm living this with a clear conscience. He's pointing out to Timothy that Timothy as well had models to, to look to for his own life and ministry, Paul being one of them. But also he points back to those amazing women in Timothy's life. And in 2 Timothy uh, 
chapter 1 and verse 1, he says here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you as well. Here we see in these opening words of greetings the deep affection that Paul and Timothy had for one another. In his letter to the Philippians, we kind of gain a little bit of an insight into the kind of person that Timothy was. And in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19, he says here, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Now Paul not only commends Timothy's sincere faith, but he gives us a sense of how that faith was actually developed in his life. Timothy had these amazing women that modeled for him what true faith looked like. And here we see his godly heritage. Paul describes uh, Timothy's grandmother, Lois, who probably in turn impacted her daughter, Eunice, which was Timothy's mother. And so as a result of these godly women, Timothy's life was shaped. And we know that to be true because as we read in 2 Timothy in the third chapter and beginning in verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from those whom you learned it. And then he goes on to tell us who these people were that he learned his faith from. It says, how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures. So here was a grandmother and a mother who was using the Word of God to instruct this young boy in his faith and had no idea that one day he would grow up and become a minister of the gospel. And then it goes on to say how the Scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation and the salvation comes through faith in Christ Jesus. New Testament scholar Luke Timothy Johnson points out the value that women play in communicating truth to others. Now, he starts his argument talking about why women should be allowed to communicate to the church as a whole, but then zeroes in on the fact that they were the ones who communicated truth to their children. And he says it this way, if women are indeed capable of transmitting the faith in a truthful and competent fashion, within the most important realm of the home through the raising of children, then the burden of proof is on those who would restrict women's roles to the domestic sphere. My larger point is a positive one that does not touch directly on gender roles as such, which is to value what Paul says here about the key role of personal witness and nurture in the forming of faithful people or persons. If churches face any crisis today, 
It is that they're expected to bear the burden of primary socializing in the faith. In other words, today it seems like we want to default and let other people do our job for us. And one of them is to allow the church to be the primary uh, ones who teach our children faith. But he's challenging us here by saying that should have been carried out in households and in families. In other words, the primary role to do this is the family. Indeed, by focusing only on the public and ecclesial ways of shaping faith, the church has colluded in neglecting the most important because most formative influences of grandparents and parents in the transmission of faith. And I love this because I am so passionately convinced that it's you and I in a very natural way communicating our faith on a daily basis in people's lives. And so the most powerful teachers of faith are the people we live with day by day. The truths of Christianity need to be embodied by human flesh. And don't you think it's interesting that when God wanted to reveal the word to us, the Bible says, and the word became flesh. God embodied his word in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in other words, just like God himself who became flesh, even so must the word of God so transform our lives that it is embodied in us. And what I mean by that, it is the only Bible by which most people will ever see or hear is the believer living out this beautiful word of God. Now, as we are celebrating Mother's Day today, and some of you have so much to be thankful for the amazing legacy of a godly mother, and you can go back and trace maybe your heritage to your grandmother and beyond, and I would just say, what a powerful heritage that really is, and we need to be so thankful for that. But then I think of others who may not have had that kind of background, but today, by God's grace, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and have either, uh, either biological children, or if not, you have people who are looking to you as a spiritual parent. They look to you as a mentor. Let me just say that the greatest gift we give to others is the gift of authentic, sincere faith. The Greek word translated sincere here by the uh, NIV is literally means to be without hypocrisy. And how many know that people get turned off by hypocrisy. They were looking for authenticity and, and uh, genuineness. And so how many young people have grown up at quote unquote a Christian home but have seen so much hypocrisy in that home because the parents are professing one thing but doing another. What we teach and model is best expressed by how we live. Our lives always speak louder than our words, and so may the words of our lips be reinforced by the manner in which we live. And hopefully there'll be very little contradiction. As when we see in this book of Paul's writings to Timothy, the introduction here in the first chapter, what Paul was concerned about was not the fact that Timothy had a sincere faith. He knew that he was a genuine believer, but what he was concerned about was the courage that seemed to be waning in Timothy's life as he was facing the pressures that he was underneath. And I think we all need to realize that our faith at times will be tested. And when that happens, the temptation is to get discouraged. And how many have ever been discouraged? That happens to all of us. And what it really means is at that moment, we're lacking courage. 
and we've kind of want to just despair or give up. And however, we hear from the Apostle Paul that even though we may suffer, we must not despair and lose heart. There may be moments of challenge. There will be conflict and opposition. There will be times of struggle, and yet we need to persevere. Paul was persuaded and convinced that Timothy, even though it was a, had sincere faith, he now needed to have some sort of encouragement, some reassurances, someone to come alongside of him and to inspire him to continue the journey. And so Paul is basically saying, look at my example. I'm currently suffering from the gospel. So don't you know, despise the fact that suffering can be a part of the Christian life. Uh, William Muntz, uh, a New Testament scholar, says, Timothy's perseverance in the face of suffering showed that his faith certainly was sincere or true. But these false teachers, in contrast, were insincere, and they were with hypocrisy, and they were avoiding suffering. And so Paul's painting a contrast for us. Philip Towner, another New Testament scholar, says, the heritage of genuine faith and the special relationships through which it was transmitted to Timothy were now being recalled to restore his confidence. But they were also called to mind a responsibility to continue in the faith and to persevere in ministry that he would not walk away from that responsibility. No matter how bitter the opposition, he would not deny his heritage. You know, I, I know sometimes we have those moments in our lives where emotionally we might feel this way. And I, I remember reading in the Psalms where it says, oh, that if I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away. Anybody ever have that experience in life where you just wanted to run away from it all? I think we've all had those moments where you just said, I don't, I can't handle it, I want to run. And yet, here in this text, we're challenged. That's not the right response. We may emotionally feel that way, but we're going to do the right thing and we're going to persevere through it because out of that experience, we are going to be fashioned and strengthened and we're going to have character develop in our life and we're going to develop endurance and perseverance. And that's what God wants to see happen in our lives. But let me move on actually to the second element of dealing with the nature of our faith is that the sincere faith at times needs to be rekindled. And this is when we're in a time of difficulty. This is when we need the Spirit of God to come and do a deeper work in our lives. You know, I, I just wrote down, difficulties and challenges can cause our little light to flicker. The idea is that Timothy needs this reassurance in the struggle he was currently in so that he could persevere through those difficulties. Often in challenging moments, we want to flee the pressures that our responsibilities are bringing to bear in our lives. We want to run from the tensions which God has called us to. There are mothers right now who are despairing in their role as life has changed dramatically. You know, I, I think of all of a sudden you're a working mom and you have kids at the school and all of a sudden now you're now brought home from the workplace and your kids are brought from the school and now you have to be both the worker and the teacher of your children all in one, and there's no exit. You're stuck at home. And how intense can that be at times? Now, I know for some moms, they're, they're enjoying homeschooling, but I think there's a few other moms out there ready to pull their hair out because this is almost overwhelming to them. They feel trapped in this time of self-isolation. 
and there seems to be no reprieve from work, children, and all that needs to be done at home. No escape. And then there are others that are experiencing tremendous financial pressure with loss of income or loss of employment. And what happens is our faith takes a hit. We wonder, God, why are you allowing this in our lives? And, and then the bigger question is, some of us are asking, how long will this continue, right? We're just going, will there, this ever come to an end? Will there ever come back to some level of normalcy? And can I just encourage us that this season of time will end? And there, there will come a time when we look back when life will seem normal again and we'll say, wow, wasn't that an incredible time in our lives? This was a slice of history that we all partook, participated in. And hopefully during this time, we'll have learned some powerful and deep lessons in our lives. Here in our text, Timothy felt overwhelmed by these pressures, these false teachers had placed upon the church. And you know, when you're the leader and things aren't going well in the church, the pressure is on you. And he needed to address them. So Paul is encouraging him, but also challenging him. And why would Paul be doing that? Because Paul is now at the end of his life. He knows he's going to be exiting from this world. And he has to trust that Timothy is going to stand up and help the church stay the course through this difficult hour. And so he's trying to encourage him and challenge him by reminding him of God's spirit and power that resides within him. And I think what's true for Timothy is true also for each of us followers of Jesus. We can handle what is before us in the power of God's spirit. Listen to what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God, that the, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid or actually cowardly or, you know, afraid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline or a sound mind. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So what was Timothy to fan into flames? Well, it was obviously a gift that came through the laying on of hands. Now, I know some scholars would argue that this had to do with the anointing of God's spirit as at his commissioning for ministry, while others would state that this is basically the Holy Spirit that is imparted into our lives, both at salvation and in that impartation of the Spirit, it empowers us to serve God into the calling he's called us to. So the point is that uh, we need to be reminded that whatever we're going through, Whatever we're currently addressing, what lies before us, God is within us, and he is with us. And so I believe we have to be reminded from time to time that there is a power inside of us that's greater than ourselves. And many times when we're under pressure, we kind of look to ourselves and we just wilt. But the reality is there, when we're a follower of Christ, there's the spirit of God living inside of us. And I love what Paul reminds us of and, uh, that, that he, he, he's gonna empower us and he's gonna help us persevere. And in Romans chapter eight, we read this amazing text uh, in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, see it's capitalized, 
himself intercedes for us. And aren't you glad that God knows exactly what we need in this time? And whatever you're experiencing right now, the Spirit of God living in you is crying out on your behalf. He's interceding to the Father on your behalf. And then a little later in that beautiful chapter 8, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then I want to just turn to another text of Scripture that I love so deeply. It's found in the book of Ephesians, and it's a reminder to us. And Paul is praying for the Ephesians who are going through some challenging moment. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, how many of us need that in our lives, that we need to be strengthened by God's presence in our inner being? And then Paul goes on to, in his prayer, says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, uh, may have power together with all uh, the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, I love this. To know the love of God that surpasses our human comprehension. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, do you realize what he's praying for? That you and I would be so full, we would just be full of God's presence. To be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, I just wrote in my notes, wow. That's the only word that I could come up with. Wow, God, look. To be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in our innermost being, to realize that Christ is deeply rooted in our hearts and that we are established in him and to grasp the immensity of his love for us until we are fully aware of his divine presence in our lives. And when you consider what is being prayed for, when you are so full of God, he will empower you so that you will be able to stand against all intimidation and no pressure will be able to crush you. You will be like little David running to that giant. Because David did not run in his own strength. He came in the name of the Most High God with all the confidence that it's gonna turn out all right. So my prayer for us today is that we would be refilled or rekindled by the power of God's Spirit so that we could courageously deal with whatever challenge and problem that is before us. And now I want to move to my last point. And it's simply that how we have and d demonstrate the sincere faith in a difficult time not only do we give thanksgiving for that faith and maybe it's been passed on to us through amazing heritage, that we rekindle it by acknowledging the need of the Holy Spirit and recognizing who's living within us. And finally, we need to guard what God has deposited into our lives. What we have already obtained, we are now responsible to embrace and not allow anything or anyone or any circumstance to diminish our confidence and hope in what has been accomplished on our behalf through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here we hear Paul's confession of faith, which is designed to inspire confidence in the gospel so that Timothy and ultimately we will not be ashamed of this gospel. 
Let me just close with these verses that are the last point. It says, this is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you've heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So how can we have confidence that we can guard what God has entrusted to us? In the same way the Apostle Paul entrusted himself not to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul was convinced that God would empower and enable him to be faithful right to the very end. Paul now turns around and commands or charges Timothy to guard what God had entrusted to him through the Apostle Paul. What did Paul entrust Timothy with? The gospel. What had God entrusted Paul with? The gospel. He was now commanded to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. That is true for each of us today. God has entrusted to us this precious gospel, and we are to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So in a practical manner, how does this apply to us? One way in which this applies to all of us is that we must never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I find it fascinating I want to take you back to the first century. I want to take you back to the mindset of that culture. In that day, they lived in an honor-shame culture. Can you imagine how much pressure there was to say that they were followers of Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus had been brought to trial. Jesus had been condemned as a criminal. Jesus had been crucified and shamefully put on a cross. And so to say that you're a follower of a criminal, that was a sense bearing a reproach and a shame. How many see that? You understand that. That's an amazing thing. And then Paul now, who's the preacher of this message, he in turn now is incarcerated. He's in jail. He seems like he's on the outs with the mainstream of society. Are you getting a picture that sometimes as believers that we will not be in the mainstream of where the culture's at today, that you and I are embracing a person called Jesus, that we are saying to our culture, there's only one way to God, and that's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the only access into the presence of the Most High God, and that sounds in the ears of the culture in the first century, and it equally sounds in the ears of the culture in the 21st century that this is an intolerant, bigoted, religion. And so they were persecuted. And so shall we be persecuted. To say that Jesus is the only way seems intolerant to our culture as it was to the people in the first century. There is a cost to following Jesus and living a holy life. And I I want you to notice that Paul in this text, he even brings it out in verse 9. He says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. I think there are people today professing faith in Christ, dismissing the necessity of living a right kind of life or a holy life or a separated life. But that has always been the case with those who are deviating from the gospel. We need to be true to the ancient message passed down to us by godly people throughout the ages and not allow the spirit of this age, the spirit of Antichrist, to turn us away from the truth to myths and listening to teacher that would only cater to our sinful nature. To do the right thing, to endure the pressures and temptations, to persevere when things are difficult, That takes the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. 
And how did Paul begin in challenging Timothy? He reminded him that an authentic and sincere faith would be a courageous and enduring faith. It would be a faith that would honor those who have been our spiritual mentors. For some, that may be your biological parents. For others, by God's grace, those people that he's brought into your life, spiritual fathers and mothers. But let us especially honor those women today who have nourished our souls through the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have not been ashamed, but have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to persevere. So maybe you're listening today and realize that you need a rekindled faith. Look at those who have gone before you and the trials that they've endured. Let that encourage you. We are being called to guard that faith that we have received right to the very end. I want to close with a story. Many of us probably know this hymn, probably the most famous hymn. If I said, name one hymn, the average person could come up with would be Amazing Grace. But do we really know the story of Amazing Grace? You know, Tim Chellis writes, when pastor and songwriter of Amazing Grace, John Newton, looked back on his life, he was quick to give credit to his mother. He knew his eventual salvation was inseparable from his early training that he had received on her knee and from the many prayers she had prayed on his behalf. Though in process of time he had sinned and strayed because, you see, young John lost his mother to death when he was only seven years old. She was taken early in life. But even in those early years, even though she was frail in body, she poured everything she could into his heart and mind. And then through the process of time, he said, I'd sinned away all my advantages of those early impressions. Yet they were for a great while a restraint upon me and they returned again and again. And it wasn't very long before I could wholly shake them off. And when the Lord at length opened my eyes and I found a great benefit from a reflection and a recollection of those early years. Elizabeth, he said, had stored my memory, which was then very retentive with many valuable pieces chapters and portions of scriptures, catechisms, hymns, and poems. And though Elizabeth was gravely ill for all of her son's early life, she did not allow her condition to keep her from fulfilling her God-given duty. To the contrary, her illness made her urgent to lay an early foundation of Christian doctrine and practice. She used what strength she had to express the deepest kind of love for her son. She taught him to know God's existence, God's holiness, and God's demands on his life. She taught him songs that would remain in his mind and heart until his dying day. She taught him to honor the Bible and to turn to it for spiritual knowledge and strength. She taught him the good news of the gospel that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. She displayed a sweet submission to God's will and a deep piety, treasuring and obeying God's every word. As biographer Jonathan Aiken says, the spiritual lesson the boy learned at his mother's knees were never forgotten. They became the foundations for his eventual conversion and Christian commitment. We cannot understand this great man apart from his godly mother. And so I'm gonna pray this today, that God would instill inside of you such a, a hunger to walk in authentic, sincere faith. And so I'm going to have us rise this morning. We're gathered here, there's a handful of us. We're going to ask God to do amazing work in our life today. You know, my prayer is that some of you need to have your faith kindled. Some of you need to say, oh God, I need the Spirit of God to come in my heart and just stir up what's there. 
and may it become a bright and a fiery flame. You know, the Bible says our God is a consuming fire. It's a, it's a picture. And when I think on the day of Pentecost, the fire of God came on those disciples. May the Spirit of God, may the fire of God fuel our hearts so that you and I can walk through this challenging time. You know, I know that it, and just I know from not experience, but from listening to my wife, Patty, Sometimes, you know, it's hard to, to, to measure the, the value of your life based on what you think you've contributed to society. But can I tell you something? If you're a mother today and you're investing your life into your children, that is the greatest investment that you can make because people are the greatest investment. And when you're nurturing them from a very young age and you're instilling in them the truths of God's word, you are doing the greatest work on the planet. And you know, you and I can even do that even if we're not a biological mother. We can win people to Christ and we can begin to nurture and mother them and, and instill within them the truths of God's words. That is the greatest work. Because what you're doing is establishing a person for a successful life. You're establishing a person for an eternal life. And so let's pray today that God would do such a marvelous work in our life that we would push aside you know, the voices of this world. We would even push aside the voices of the false teaching that would, you know, trip us up and, and begin to let us think that we can live any sort of a life and that it's all okay. No, we don't want to be like that. We want to live this amazing life, this God-directed, this spiritual life, the one that is letting the Word of God define and develop and and, and help us to avoid evil and to embrace what is right. And so I'm gonna pray for the mothers today, but I'm gonna pray for all of us that God's spirit would come and fill us anew and afresh, that we could go out with a sense of vision and energy and empowerment from God's spirit to do his will in these challenging times. And so Father, that is my prayer today, that you would do an amazing work in the hearts of your people, oh God that you would draw people to yourself today, that you would infuse them with the life of the Spirit, Father, that you would strengthen those things in our hearts, oh God, that remain. And I pray, Lord, if there are areas in our life that need to change, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring clarity of thought in mind and that we would identify the things that we're gonna walk away from and those things that we're gonna embrace. And I pray, Father, that our, our passion and, and our desire and our longing for you would intensify and that we would renew this effort, Father, to really mentor and, and develop the hearts of people, Father, to see them nourished and grow strong in you and to become a force and a, and a power to be reckoned in this generation. Lord, I believe that you're raising up a, a generation of powerful people because there are those that are investing and pouring into and nurturing and inspiring others. And I pray, Father, that those that are maybe a bit discouraged right now, those that are weary in doing what's right, Lord, help them not to give up because your word declares to us that in due season we shall reap if we don't give up. I pray that you will inspire, that you will encourage, that you will challenge, that you will motivate, that you will correct. Lord, that we will leave hearing this message transformed by the power of your spirit and of your word in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you next week.